Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Last week, I sat down with Kimberly Gomer, a registered dietitian nutritionist, and we talked about artificial sweeteners and if they're safe, plus the surprising foods they're in and how to limit them in your kid's diet. If you missed it, be sure to go back and listen because there's a lot of new information and practical ideas you can start using today. All right, so today we're talking about something that affects 5.6 million children in the U.S., and that's food allergies. I've written and talked quite a bit about my daughter who has food allergies and how she's gone into anaphylaxis. So this is something that I'm really passionate about. Keeping a kid with food allergies safe throughout the year is hard enough, but around the holidays, there are so many new foods, tons of cookies, and homemade family favorites that often have secret ingredients. And the truth is, if you don't make it yourself, it's a wild card. There are also plenty of events where there's food, whether it's at school, home, church, or with other groups, which can make it that much harder. Although keeping your kids safe does mean that you'll be planning ahead, the good news is that there are so many options today, it's a lot easier. So I think we can all feel really good that whatever dish that will be at whatever party you're at, you can definitely replicate it in some shape or form. That's Kelly Wyan, a writer, producer, and television personality. She is also the author of several books, including her new title, The Food Allergy Baking Book. Kelly shares her amazing journey caring for a child with severe food allergies and serves up her best tips to prepare for the holidays, whether you're hosting, going to someone else's home, or going out to eat. We also talk about simple ingredient swaps and how to help your kids advocate for themselves. And Kelly shares her favorite recipes from her book. This episode is your how-to guide for navigating the holidays with food allergies. And I know you're going to love this interview with Kelly Woyan. Kelly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you today. So let's talk about your story. Yeah. So, you know, I have a a son, he's now 20, um, who has life-threatening food allergies, uh, like your daughter. And he was diagnosed very early on, pretty much when we first started to introduce, uh, milk products and, and, uh, like milk and food when he was about seven or eight months old. Um, so he had such a violent reaction to dairy that, and this was, you know, way back in 2000 and So this was a very different time in the food allergy space where there wasn't a ton of information or literature or even cookbooks. So when he was diagnosed with food allergies, I was starting from ground zero. I didn't know anyone who had food allergies before. And um, he was my second child. My, My daughter, who's now 22, just had no allergies whatsoever. So this was a very different difficult transition for me as a young mom to kind of navigate this world that there seemed to be not a lot of information about at that time. So, you know, even after that, like kind of going through the journey of, you know, and getting past the fact that this was a life-threatening condition, there is no cure. And how am I going to navigate introducing new foods to him and, and also having a toddler at home and keeping my son safe, but give her the foods that she grew accustomed to liking. 
So it was a time of exploration of, my God, how, how am I going to feed this kid, you know, and, yeah. and his birthday and where do, is there cake mix? What do I do? And I, to be honest with you, wasn't even a cook at that time. So oh, wow. I, yeah, no training, wasn't a cook. Um, we lived in Chicago at the time. Uh, and it was just, we ordered in all the time. You know, I just, I didn't have any clue. So during this process, uh, I you know, remember going online and just searching for recipes and information and God, how do I replace eggs? And then I remember I had to order special things from special websites that cost like $8 a box. And it was just, for me, it was overwhelming and kind of out of desperation, I really found a place in blogging. Uh, at the time, I started a blog, kind of navigating my my experiences with food allergies and kind of, you know, introducing new recipes and making pancakes for the first time for my son when I didn't even know how to cook was, you know, kind of my idea of sharing this with other moms who might be going through something like this as well. Because at the school level, um, when my son finally went to preschool there was still no one I knew that had food allergies. He was the only kid in his class that actually had one. So it was, you know, hard to try to explain to his teachers every time and every school year and every time there'd be birthdays, like he was the only one that, you know, couldn't have the cake or the treats. And so it became this thing where when I started my blog, I I truly only thought that my sister would be the one reading it. I didn't think it would be (laughs) anything that like anyone would care about. But really, it grew so much so quickly, and it became like the safe haven for other moms and dads to like say, "Yeah, we're not so you know isolated in in what we're going through with our kids, and let's share recipes. Let's share what happened at the holiday party. How did you navigate that?" And it was just such a, a beautiful time for me as as a mom to really connect with other parents. So I felt a little less lonely in the world and, and really in the world of food allergies, you know, even though we know that there are, you know, today, 32 million Americans have food allergies, 5 million kids have food allergies. Yes, it's a big deal. But honestly, back in those days in in the 2000s, not a lot of people were talking about food allergies in the way that we do now, because there were really no guidelines there were no safety protocols. There wasn't even food labeling at that time. Right. So yeah, yeah, it was a completely different time. And it was only out of, you know, kind of the, the emergence of there's so many, uh, uh, food allergy advocates over the years that I'm very dear friends with now still who really paved the way and raised their voices to kind of bring attention to this, say, no, we need to protect these kids. We need to make them feel inclusive. And we also need to support these parents in, my God, if I have to go somewhere for a party, how am I going to handle that? Or if I like have a party at school, how am I going to handle that? And it seems like it's not that big of a deal if you're just not dealing with this particular world that we've had to deal with. But for these families, it was incredibly isolating for them. Um, and so that's really kind of what started me on my journey and just, you know, wanting to create a safe space through my blog and my brand and, and my cookbooks to share, you know, the, the journey that I had been on with my son. 
And so how did the cookbooks come to be? Were you approached by a publisher? Did you pitch that? No, I was not. It's so funny. I So I used to live in the Midwest, in Wilmot, Illinois, a really adorable, quaint town with cobblestone streets, so suburban Chicago. And we had this alley where all our kids used to play in the back alley all the time. And so the moms and I, we'd sit there and we'd watch our kids ride their bikes up and down the alley. And I was sharing a recipe with one of my neighbors whose kid did not have food allergies. And she was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing cookie I've ever had. And I said, yeah, it's dairy, not egg free. Like it's, and she couldn't believe it. And she had said, well, why don't you share that on your blog? Why don't you share your recipes? And I never thought about it, but I did. And those recipes quickly became so popular uh, amongst my blog where I got this crazy idea. Well, maybe I'll just like write a book proposal. Maybe I'll share this with (laughs) other parents so I can like stop like, you know, posting recipe after recipe, like put in one, you know, collective place. And I remember, I didn't even know how, I was a writer, I was a journalist before I had kids. Um, And I have five kids. So I pretty much stopped doing any work (laughs) when I had all my kids. So I remember I, I Googled one Saturday afternoon how to write a book proposal. And I just kind of did it and just really had nothing else to go on and sent out my proposal to, you know, a million publishers, you get a million rejections. Um, And then I got two acceptance letters back and I got a meeting and, and a book deal and it all kind of, you know, went from there. It was really just very serendipitous how it came about. Yeah. That's amazing. So you talked a little bit about, you know, how having a child with food allergies can be really isolating and difficult, but let's paint a picture of what it's really like to have a child who has food allergies, because I think people who don't have kids with food allergies really don't get it and don't understand how (laughs) difficult it is. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I, I, one story, my son, uh, still talks about was when he was in first grade and there was some kind of like end of the school year, little picnic party in the classroom. But because this was Chicago and it rained all the time and it never really felt like summer, like we did picnics in the classroom. So all the kids brought their little beach towels and their little lunches and their snacks. And then some moms brought some cookies and cupcakes. And again, there was no protocol still at this time. I was still working to get it in the school, but still had not had that level of success. And so he remembers, and I remember, because he told me when he came home from school, that he was told to sit outside the classroom because they knew he had food allergies, but they still didn't know how to handle it. And they didn't want to ruin the fun for all the other kids. So let's just put John out in the hallway and then, you know, we'll deal with it. That's how it used to be. You know, and so obviously, and also too, we all have these moments where, oh, it was, you know, we go to grandma and grandpa's or an aunt and uncle's for Christmas and, you know, we're all excited. You bring all your kids. And then even though they are aware of food allergies within your family, they'll have a big bowl of mixed nuts on the table that your kid can like grab if they're like two or three years old and curious, but don't know that it's quite dangerous for them. So like, always feeling like you had to have those preliminary conversations about just wanted to remind you we have X, Y, and Z allergy. Like 
what are you making? Can I bring something? You know what I mean? So it was always this like conversation about like, okay, what thing do I have to go to? What do I need to prepare? Oh, I have to cook something again. I have to make sure I go above and beyond and make the best treats. So nobody knows they're allergy free. Like there's this real embedded stress as a parent that we just want to make sure our kids are safe, of course, above all else, but we do not want them to feel different. And we do not want to draw attention because we know that's something that ultimately our kids are very insecure about. So I think for the the life of having a food allergic kid in your family, there's always just this unknown. You go to a restaurant, you don't always know. You travel on a plane, you do not know. Maybe everything works out fabulously. But then that one time something happens and I'm sure you've gone through this too, but we've definitely had these moments where, yes, we had a very serious situation come up. There was an allergic reaction, ambulance called, EpiPen given, but I feel like that was just something that was always in the back of your mind as a parent. And also I think for our kids as well too. Yeah. Yeah. You're always on high alert. You're always doing research. You're contacting companies to make sure that maybe the allergen is used in the facility or on shared equipment, but they're not disclosing that. And it's educating other people, so the school, family members. And then, you know, I think something we didn't talk about is not to be all doom and gloom, but, you know, it's traumatic. So when your kid goes into anaphylaxis, and I've written about this on my site, it really is traumatic for the child, for the family. I know my daughter, I've had to give her the the AviQ and she jokes today and, and will say, you almost killed me. And I said, no, actually I saved your life. Um, but we've had a lot of, you know, we've had a lot of times where there's been a, there's been an, an accidental exposure and we've had the EMTs here. And my other daughter, I really feel like she has trauma from it, from going to the emergency room. And it it's, it's so hard because you don't want it to happen again. Absolutely. I mean, I, I recall certain experiences and, and these are not even when my kids were young. This was after many, many years of uh, having education and awareness in our own family. And my son was not young. I think one of the more traumatic uh, episodes was when I was going to graduate school. So I was in LA and I got a phone call <laughs> When I was on break from one of my kids saying, John's having an allergic reaction, you know, what do I do? And my older daughter ended up giving him uh, the epinephrine and my other kids, you know, witnessed it. Uh, And it was something we talked about a lot. It was incredibly traumatic to see a, their big brother who is always seemingly stoic and strong and self-assured be in a state of shock. And, and to be so uh, just terrified. And then also to witness, you know, the big sister coming in and, and without fail, she did what she was supposed to do. She gave it, she called 911. I mean, it was brilliant what she did, but the aftermath sticks with you, right? Like yeah. once you go through an experience with your child where you don't know, are they going to need a second dose? Are they going to need additional support? Do it? We obviously know these horrific stories where kids have not survived, right? Where they were given multiple doses and they just couldn't reverse the reaction. And that is a story that I think probably sticks in your mind as well as mine and any other parent. One that there's always that risk factor. 
So I think that's the hard thing to explain to, I think, a family or who doesn't have to live with the ins and outs of food allergies is that you can do everything right. You can have your epinephrine on you. You can keep, you know, safe food. If something happens, there's always that risk. It actually may not work out. And that's the most terrifying fear. Even to this day, my son still has his nut allergy. Um, even with OIT, he went through the whole process of OIT and he has to go through it again next summer and he's going to be 21. I mean, it's not something that uh, has really ever left the conversation in our home. Um, so it is a lifelong education in yeah. this process. Yeah, absolutely. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the holidays. How can we kind of prepare ahead of time if we'll be going to someone else's house or there's a party or some sort of holiday event? Yeah, it's, you know, again, so much easier these days because I think the idea of uh, vegan type desserts and gluten-free desserts and main meal ideas are just so much more uh in the marketplace today, whereas they even 10 years ago, you had to really struggle to find ingredient substitutions if you were going to make certain things. So I think, you know, we can all feel really good that whatever dish that will be at whatever party you're at, you can definitely replicate it in some shape or form. But I think the biggest tip that has always worked, and I know it's worked for a lot of other parents like yourself, is just do your homework. You know, if you know you're invited to it's either a holiday party at school or at a family member's house or other friends, just make a phone call. And I would recommend a phone call over a text and just have a conversation. These are, you know, kind of what we're dealing with in terms of our diet. It's a life-threatening food allergy. This is, you know, just kind of what we need to be avoiding in terms of ingredients. I just was curious, you know, what were you planning on to have? And then always offer to make something and to bring it which a lot of hosts will always appreciate it no matter what. And even if they say, no, 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 I got it. I'll try to make something on my own. We've all had those cases. And, you know, and you're like, you're like, no, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, no, it's fine. You know, graciously say, yes, it's fine. And, and, and still bring something no matter what, <laughs> like never trust. <laughs> and I think it's also really important. You know, we, we like to go to restaurants. We like to go to parties at restaurants and, you know, it's always important well in advance, if you can, like a couple of weeks in advance, call the restaurant, speak to the manager, not the host, kind of let them know the date you're coming in. Is there a special menu that maybe is safer that, you know, is allergy friendly, that really doesn't cross contaminate with other ingredients or pans or utensils in the kitchen? A lot of these restaurants are so well versed in this now. So that's also a huge positive that you can pick up the phone and call a manager and they'll know what you're talking about. Again, 10 years ago, it was like, wait, what? <laughs> so it was always like this learning curve. So thankfully we've got that down now. Um, but even so, when you go and get to the restaurant, make sure you ask for the manager again, say hi to the chef, say, I thank you so much. I'm so grateful. Like we're excited here, but like, again, these are our allergies. This is what we can and can't have. And it's always about just reiterating at every step because a lot, you know, they're not going to be thinking about it when you walk through the door. It's our job to remind them of kind of what things we need to be avoiding. It's a life-threatening allergy. It's 
not an intolerance. This is something that, you know, just want to make sure everybody's on the same page. That's really important, um, especially at restaurants. But also, you know, again, family gatherings are sometimes the worst places to go to, right? Because we all have family members that think that it's make-believe to have a food allergy. You know, there's a lot more <laughs> literature about it, but we definitely know there's, you know, people out there that are like, oh, so they can still have parts of this, right? No. So, you know, that was something that I, I kind of had to overcome too in the early years is that no matter what, I just always was prepared with my own stuff. I made it as fabulous as possible. So nobody knew the difference and, you know, just really tried to make it work. It, I didn't make it the focal point, but I definitely behind the scenes made it the focal point for sure. Those are great tips. So if you're hosting, how can you ensure that the foods that other people are bringing are safe? Or should you just say, you know what, maybe bring a bottle of wine and I'll cover the food? Yes, for sure. If you are the host of the party, just ask for things like uh, crudite platters, wine, and fresh fruit, something like that, something or, uh, you know, flowers or just something if they feel like they want to bring something or just simply say, no, we have everything under control. Don't even worry about it and leave it be. Because to be honest with you, if people know that you are dealing with a food allergy in your house and you are the host, typically they're really scared to even try to attempt to make something that would not only be safe, but something that is edible. Like they have it in their head that oh, this is so hard. I have to make a vegan. What? Like, it's, you know, they have no idea. So it's better just to be like, you know, and I'm sure you've been through this many times over the years. You just, you shoulder the cost, you you shoulder the labor, you know, that if you're having a party, you're just going to handle everything. And that's just kind of the way it is right or wrong. That's just the way it is. It makes everything kind of seamless and safe. And there's just no questions. If somebody is absolutely adamant you know, you obviously can graciously accept a dish, but keep it far away from the other things you know that your child or family member who has a food allergy is definitely going to be consuming. Yeah, this is all great. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about how we can help our kids advocate for themselves. Cooking with your kids is one of the best ways to encourage them to eat healthy and try new foods. I know it's definitely helped my kids. So if you're looking for a holiday gift that isn't a toy this year and that you can also enjoy together when you're stuck indoors during the winter, then the Kids Cook Real Food e-course is for you. In this course, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like veggie bean burritos and spaghetti squash lasagna. Delicious. This course is designed for kids of all ages, two to teen, and has three different skill levels. My kids and I have taken the course, and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken this course, and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. If you want your kids to be healthy, adventurous eaters, sign up by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. As a busy working mom, I don't have time to run from store to store, especially around the holidays. But with Thrive Market, I don't have to. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. 
and they ship everything to your door. You'll find everything you need for the holidays, including ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, baking essentials, and snacks for the kids. It's all organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. They even have curated shopping lists that make holiday prep a breeze. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a low income family. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. All right, Kelly. So how can we prepare our kids for holiday events and help them advocate for themselves? Although I know it's so different depending on the age, but what can we do to support them? You know, I think the most important thing we can do is have these conversations with your child as early as possible. As soon as you know that your child has an identified food allergy, make sure that you have an appropriate conversation with them at their age level, of course, that just makes them super aware that they are to stay away from certain foods. And it's just, it's nothing wrong with them. You don't want to shame them, but that you know, this is just how it is. And and we don't want to get sick and we want to be safe. And those are harder conversations when your child is like two or three or four years old. And they're just wanting to experiment and try with every, you know, cute food on the table. Those are really tough years. That's when you have to be uh, vigilant in a different way as a parent. But as they get older, it doesn't really go away. Like as they go through elementary school and then into middle school, you will find that there's a higher percentage of allergic reactions as these kids get older and even into high school, because all of a sudden they don't want to be different. They don't want to advocate. They don't want to speak about their food allergies. And in many cases, they will hide what they, what allergies they have from their friends. So it's another conversation that you have to have where it's just, you know, use your voice. We want to teach our kids to use their voice anyways, right? And in terms of advocating for themselves, it's about not being ashamed that you have this condition. It's not a choice. This was just how your body was born. Everybody has their own unique things that they may have to deal with. And this is yours. And, and you know, really, it's, it's nothing that you have to hide or be ashamed of. Um, and I also always encourage kids that if they don't feel like something is safe, they can just back off and not have anything that's, you know, if they're out with their friends, they can just say, no, I'm good. And just not make a big deal where they have to have a huge conversation about it. That's more practical for a teenager. A teenager is going to not have a conversation about his food allergies with all his friends when they're at a Denny's. But if they're really close friends, they typically will support their friend. And it's just about having conversations. Yeah, this is what I have. And this is what I can't eat or what I can eat. And, and I think that, you know, within our kids, friends groups, they want our kids to feel safe and want them to feel like they're not any different, not make it all about the food. But I think at the end of the day, it's really about, and for all kids, whether you have food allergies or not, it's just about, you know, the self-reliance and self-respect for your body and, and what you have to deal with in terms of your food allergies and to not be ashamed of it and to recognize you can use your voice and you can just say, no, I can't have that or I can't go there and could we try another place? 
So every situation is going to be different for every age group. But I think that the same, the same message applies, you know, use your voice, be confident in your voice. And I think when you are, everybody else will listen. Yeah. And those are such good skills to teach our kids in any aspect of life. And I think food allergies build that resilience in kids, especially today when there's, you know, it's peer pressure times 10 with social media and, and everything else. So around the holidays, and you're the expert here, what are some ways that we can modify recipes to ensure that they're safe for our kids? Yeah, you know, again, there's so many ingredients on the marketplace today versus what there was many years ago. I am a firm believer. I love ingredients that don't cost a ton of money. I love ingredients that you don't have to go to special stores for. That's always what I wrote about in my books and blog. I hate special order anything. (laughs) I just feel like we want to like create recipes that like you just want to have things on hand in the house. So for me, with things like eggs, like an egg replacer in a baked item, uh, fruit puree, like applesauce or prunes or anything like that is excellent in terms of substituting that for an egg. But one of the key ingredients that I found in all my recipe development quite by accident was that only a tablespoon of water per egg is a perfect egg replacer. And I, I did that because I don't, I don't even know. It was like some kind of accident when I was testing recipes. And I thought, oh my God, you mean I don't have to mix flaxseed and like egg replacer? I don't have to do all the, you know, the chemistry. And I thought that was like really just simple, obviously effective and cheap. And it didn't make it such a big deal. We didn't have to order special things. Um, other things like tofu. Now, obviously, if you have a soy allergy, this would not be suitable for you. But things like when I would make a pumpkin pie, like pureeing tofu um, into a cream form was really a great tip when you're trying to like mimic that consistency within a pie, right? Like that was always something that, um, you know, was really useful. So little things like that, and I would just say gluten-free flours and just staying away from things that, you know, share ingredients with nuts is a big one because nuts is such a, you know, it's just a tough one. You want to just make sure there's no cross-contamination with that. Um, But again, there's a lot of dairy-free margarines and shortenings on the market. Always still read your labels though, because obviously there's hidden names for milk products within labels. And one thing that I found, my son is allergic to legumes and pea protein, which is a small percentage of those who have like a nut allergy. They're in the same family, but really careful to watch because most of his reactions actually came from a pea protein, which is a common ingredient found in non-dairy products. So I would just encourage if you have a child specifically, even with a nut allergy or a peanut allergy and you don't quite know if they have a legume or pea allergy, just kind of be careful about that particular ingredient and read your labels always. And what are your favorite recipes from your book? Oh my God. I'm so obsessed with so many, but I will tell you that, especially for this time of year, I do love my molasses cookie. Um, It's one that I made on Martha Stewart and it was so cute. Her daughter, um, Alexis is vegan. And I remember one of the producers saying that she like took some and like put it off to the side to bring home to her daughter, which I thought was a great compliment. Cause yeah. she's, you know, Martha and I'm sure she likes excellent things. So that that's just one that I'm like, it looks beautiful. It 
festive. It's very easy to make. You can keep the dough in the freezer on hand. Like I'm obsessed with that one. Um, I also really love the Emerald Isle coffee cake, which kind of looks like the coffee cake that you would get, you know, in a bakery or at Starbucks with the cinnamon swirl. That was a recipe that I adapted from one of my mother's typewritten S like recipes from way back in the seventies. And I love that. Oh my God. It is absolutely divine. I mean, nobody can guess. It's just one of everybody's favorites. Um, so that's perfect for like brunches and holiday parties. The pumpkin bread is just one of the best I've ever had. There's just no difference between that and anything you would ever have in in a, a great bakery. But I have to say the all-time one that is very special to me is my chocolate chip cookie. And the reason is that that's literally a cookie I have made now for like, oh, I don't know, 19 years. And I make it pretty much every week. I have it the you know recipe embedded in my memory. And it was the first time that I actually had confidence in what I could do as a baker, especially with food allergies. Because I had this vision in my head, okay, it has to look a certain way. It has to be perfectly round, can't be too flat and whatever. Like I made all these other recipes that just didn't look right. And it was the first time when my son was, you know, like eating sweets and I was able to kind of give him different foods that I was really proud to give him something that tasted amazing that everybody loved, but looked like a gorgeous chocolate chip cookie. And so for me, I still, every time I make that recipe, and it still was like my most requested recipe on my uh, blog, Food Allergy Mom at the time, it just, it's very special for me because it meant more and it gave me the confidence to really say, okay, I can learn this. I can learn how to be a baker. I can learn how to take care of, you know, my kids. I can learn how to cook. So that was really still to this day, it's very special to me. Yeah. And what a gift for your child too. And and I bet the ingredients are just even better than a regular old chocolate chip cookie, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, it's like applesauce, right? Yeah. I, and that's the perfect part. Like even my son now who's 12 and nobody else in my family has allergies, but like I have to make half that batch into little cookie balls and put that in the freezer. And he just eats raw cookie dough, which obviously it's safe. It doesn't have eggs in it. And so they don't even care about the cookies anymore. They just want the cookie dough because it's so good and amazing. That's <laughs> so great. It's, it is. It's still special. Yes. Yeah. Well, Kelly, this was so much fun talking to you today. Where can listeners go to learn more about you and your work? Yeah, they can. Uh, so my uh, cookbook, Food Allergy is a reissue of my original, the Food Allergy Mama's Baking Book. Um, they can find that at any bookstore, Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, anything. And then if they want more information about me, they can visit me on uh, Instagram or on Facebook. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Kelly. Thank you for having me. I love chatting with Kelly and I thought she had some really amazing tips for keeping kids safe around the holidays and all year long. Definitely pick up a copy of her cookbook, The Food Allergy Baking Book, which I've linked to in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning into the Food Issues Podcast. You can connect with me on julierevelant.com where you can leave me a voicemail or send me a message and let me know about a new topic or guest you'd like to hear from. And be sure to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I'll see you next week.